you open them, please, to the book of Ephesians. We continue in a sermon series in this book. Title of our message, Praying with Power, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. 1957 years ago, the Apostle Paul was in prison. His crime, preaching Jesus to a world that didn't want to hear about Jesus. A world that told him to shut up and go away. And the more they told him to shut up, the louder he got. The more they told him to go away, the more he stayed. So Paul, as he writes what we now call the book of Ephesians, is in jail. This book we call Ephesians is actually a letter he wrote to the church at Ephesus and the Christians that were there. Even though he was in prison, God's church and God's people were on his mind. Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. If you've heard this once, you've heard it a thousand times. Prayer changes things. Sometimes prayer changes other people. Sometimes prayer changes the situations and circumstances we find ourselves in. Sometimes prayer changes us. Doesn't change anybody else, doesn't change the situation we're in, but it changes us and gives us the ability to deal with both. Prayer changes things. That's very true. Yet so many of us, though, we pray as if prayer matters little, or prayer doesn't matter at all. The great problem in the church is most of us only pray when we have no place else to go, nowhere else to go, no other person to go to. We've at the end of our rope. We've run out of options, and we just pray then. Heard of two ladies who were in a beauty salon. Lady number one said to lady number two, how did you meet your husband? Well, the lady number two said, well, we met at an ice cream social. He was my dream sickle. <laughs> how did you meet your husband? 
She said, we met at the travel agency. He was my last resort. <laughs> and that's the way many of us pray. We just pray as a last resort. What we are looking at this morning is one of the great prayers found in the Bible. It's a life-changing prayer. It's a circumstance-changing prayer for those who will understand it and utilize it in their own life. Now, before we look at this prayer that we just read, and it's a short prayer, you don't have to pray long to get God's attention. You just need to pray right. But before we go and look at the prayer in depth, some observations, if I will. I'm going to give you this, by the way, at no cost. I'm going to tell you how to study your Bible right now. That's not in the notes, but I'm going to tell you how to do it. Whenever you go to a passage in the Bible, wherever it may be, just like we are looking at this morning, the first thing you want to do is read the passage and then write down some general observations that come to your mind just reading it as it says in the Bible. That's called observations. Surface things that just seem to come up as you read it. And you write those down. And then you read it again. This time you read it after your observations. You read it and you write down what you see with the help of concordances, what you see with the help of church history books, what you see from commentaries. In other words, you're going to go from observation, which is surface, to analysis, which is deeper. You're going to start digging for the truths that are in the gold mines, you might say. And then you go to application. What do these observations mean to me? What does the analysis mean to me and how I live my Christian life? Okay? That didn't cost you anything, but it's good to how to study your Bible. So when I went to this passage, I'm going to share with you now some initial observations with you that I hope you'll find helpful before we do the analysis. The first thing I want you to observe with me is this. Paul's mind wondered when he prayed. He had spiritual attention deficit disorder. Does that make you feel good? It makes me feel good. Because sometimes when I pray, I start out with A. But then I go to E. Then I go back to B. Then I jump to J. Then I go to Y. Then I'm back to M. And then I finally end up at Z. Your mind ever do that to you when you pray? Some of your eyes are doing it right now. I believe Paul struggled with spiritual ADD. Where do I get that from? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Paul is getting ready now to pray. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you the Gentiles. He's getting ready to pray. 
but he gets sidetracked here. He starts thinking about the church, the mystery of the church, the beauty of the church. So he doesn't start praying in verse 2. From verse 2 to verse 13, he starts preaching a little bit. And then in verse 14, he finally comes back to what he wanted to do in verse 1. And that was to pray. Notice in verse 14, it starts out with the same thing he said in verse 1. He says, For this cause I now bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul struggled in prayer, just like we struggle in prayer. We erroneously sometimes tell people, if you can't do anything else, you can pray. Listen to your pastor. That's not true. The devil doesn't bother us most of the time. Why should he? We're not doing anything to be bothered about. But for those of us who are doing something, the devil doesn't even worry about that. The devil doesn't worry about our witnessing. He doesn't worry about our serving. He doesn't worry about our giving. He doesn't worry about our worshiping. He doesn't worry about our teaching and preaching. You know what worries the devil? There's only one thing that really worries him, and he'll go all out to stop you if you start doing it, and that's pray. When you make a commitment that you're going to be a prayer warrior, and you're going to bring the wisdom and power of God down into your life and into your family and to your situations and circumstances, into your nation and into your church and into your home, I guarantee you you'll know there's a devil. Because he'll do everything he can to hinder what you think, what you feel, what you say, the time you're trying to pray. And Paul ran into this, you and I will too. Prayer is the most difficult thing you'll ever undertake if you're serious about it. Second observation, Paul's prayer reaffirms the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity, God is one, but God is three. God is three, but God is one. There is one God, but he's three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Try to understand that, you'll go crazy, deny it, you'll go to hell. Verse 14, notice he mentions God the Father. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. Verse 16, he mentions God the Spirit. That we might be strengthened with might by his Spirit. Verse 17, that, say it, that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith. There you see the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. Again, one God, but three persons. Third observation, Paul's prayer is about the inner person, not the outer person. Look at verse 16. To be strengthened with might, the last part of verse 16, by his spirit in the inner man. Most of our praying, ladies and gentlemen, is outward. In fact, probably 98% of everything that ever comes out of our mouth in the way of prayer is about something that we want on the outside. 
physical healing, monetary needs, social relationships, exterior issues. We very seldom ever give any thought to the inside. And yet the inside is the most important part of us. Because out of the heart of man comes the great issues of life. What's inside matters, ladies and gentlemen. And yet most of the time we pray for the outward, not for the inward. For the physical, not for the spiritual. When you read Paul's prayer, he wasn't so much concerned about the outside. He was more concerned about the inside. When you're right with God on the inside, everything on the outside works itself out. But if you're not right with God on the inside, it quite frankly doesn't matter what you do on the outside. You'll never have peace. You'll never have joy. You'll never have hope that God wants you to have. Observation number four. Paul prays with passion. You've heard me say before, God does business with people who mean business. I wish I could tell you I made that up, but I didn't. It comes from James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer. The effectual, passionate prayer. The effectual, a man who wants to do business with God prayer. Availeth much. When we pray with passion and urgency, determination and desperation, energy and emotion, it gets God's attention. And yet most of us, we have no passion when we pray. There's no energy, there's no emotion. We've never shed a tear over anything. It's just matter-of-fact words, oftentimes cliches. And we think God's impressed and God's not impressed and we wonder why He never answers our prayers because He knows we don't mean a thing we say anyway. Most of our prayers are as weak as Yankee tea, as dry as last year's bird nest, as lifeless as a cemetery at midnight, and useless as a spoon to dig a trench. Paul prayed. He prayed with passion. Where could I go but to the Lord? There's no place you can go. And Paul went to him. Not his last resort, but his first response. Observation number five. Paul's prayer is about power. Not our power. God's power. The whole prayer that we're going to look at in just a moment is about the power of God. How the power of God came upon Moses and he rolled back the Red Sea. How the power of God came upon Joshua and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. How the, walls of God, how the power of God came upon David and David slew a giant, a human tank by the name of Goliath. How the power of God came on three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they walked around in the fiery furnace with a smile on their face and walked out with a smile on their face. The power of God is about how the, it came upon Daniel in the lion's den and the lion's mouths were shut 
and they became a pillow for the prophet to sleep on. This prayer is about the power of God. And I want you to listen to me. In all of the illustrations I just gave you, the power of God came upon the person of God and then left. The power of God that we have indwells us. He lives in us. And that power is within us to do what they did and far more. Now those are observations. And every time you open your Bible to read it, you need to write down observations. Things that you see that are surface things, but they are important things. And then from the observation, you go to the analysis. The analysis is where you're going to dig deeper. You're going to take your pick and your shovel, and you're going to start playing with the gold mine of that passage and dig out the gold of it. So that's what we're now going to do. We're going into the analysis of this prayer. It's got three parts, our analysis. It's got a beginning, it's got a middle, it's got an ending. So let's start in verse 14 and 15 with the beginning of Paul's prayer. Now that's, we've got the observations done. Now we're going to start digging into the scripture. We're going to start breaking it down a little bit. Notice in verse 14 and 15, the beginning of Paul's prayer. And we call this beginning the invocation. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Paul immediately starts out this prayer by addressing God as who? Look at your Bible. Father. Forty-one times before he wrote this, he addressed God as Father. God is Creator. God is Savior. God is Lord. God is God. No dispute. But Paul had a relationship with someone that he loved. He had a relationship with someone who loved him. The relationship was personal. It was intimate. It was the kind that you could go to anytime, anywhere, and talk about anything with the assurance that the one that you go to will receive you and listen to you and act upon what you say. Paul called God Father. Wow. But he also did something else when he called God Father. It says in verse 14, before he called God Father to begin the prayer, he fell to his where? His knees. Now it doesn't matter so much the posture you have when you pray. If you come to Wednesday night prayer meeting and if you're not coming, you really should. It is a special night in this church for those of you who are not serving or working elsewhere. But if you come to our Wednesday night prayer time when we pray for 30 or 40 minutes uninterrupted, you'll notice that there are people who stand up and pray. 
There's people from time to time who will walk around and pray. There's people who will pray sitting just like you are right now. There are people who will pray kneeling. There will be several people who come up to the front and they get out on their face and bury their face into the carpet and pray. You say, Pastor, which one's closer to God? They're all close to God. It's not about posture, but it is mentioned to us that Paul prayed from a kneeling position. That's not coincidental. You see, he had a love relationship with God that he could call God Father, but he also had an attitude of respect to God that required him to humble himself on his knees before the Father. So when we approach God, we approach him as children to a Father who loves us and, he, and we love him. But we approach, we approach him also with respect and reverence because he is a king, he is a Lord, he is God. And he should not be approached casually. He should not be spoken of flippantly. He's not the big man in the sky. He's not the man upstairs. That's disrespectful and irreverent. He's our Father who arts in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Let's move on now. That's the beginning of the prayer. That's the invocation. But now we're going to move to the second part of our analysis. It's called the middle of the prayer. We're going to look at verses 16 through 19. We're going to see what's called the petition. In the invocation, Paul addresses God as Father because there's a love relationship, but he bends his knee because Father God is Lord God, and you show your respect. But now he's going to make some petitions. Verse 16 through 19, we see four petitions that Paul is going to pray for the church at Ephesus and the saints that are there. Now these are important things because God gives them to us in the Bible. So this is not just Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, it's Paul's prayer for Miles Road. It's not just Paul's prayer for the saints that made up that church, but for the saints who make up this church. And I think we could take those four petitions and use four words to help us understand them. The first word is strength. Look at verse 16. Paul says concerning his prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might to be strengthened with power by His, help me out, Spirit. So the first thing Paul prays for the saints at the church at Ephesus, the believers who made up the church, was they would have strength. They would have might. They would have power. And this power would come from the Spirit of the living God. The same power that parted the Red Sea. The same power that brought down the walls of Jericho. The same power that kept three Hebrew boys alive in a furnace. The same power that slayed Goliath. 
the same power that allowed one prophet to destroy 850 prophets and prophetesses of Baal. That power is in us. If that doesn't get you excited, you're dead. The power of God is in those who have invited Jesus into their life. And that power allows us to overcome sin, allows us to resist temptations, allows us to endure hardships, allows us to stay the course when everybody else is quitting, allows us to maintain hope in a hopeless world, allows us to be free of addictions and bondages. That power is in you and me if we know Christ. Sadly to say, so many of us look for pills and programs and philosophies and partners and charms and creeds and courses and channeling. And those things might have a place, but they cannot give a man anything to overcome anything because they have no power. The power comes from God himself. Now what a wonderful day it will be in the church when we start employing the power of God's Spirit to get things done personally and corporately and quit trying to use the things of the world. So Paul prayed that they would have this kind of strength and they would know they have that kind of strength. Next word in verse 17, four petitions. The first word was strength. The second word is dwell. Notice in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now that word dwell comes from a word that has three different meanings. Paul says, I pray that the saints at the church at Ephesus may dwell, may have Christ dwell in their hearts by faith. That word dwell, one of the meanings, and I pay attention now, this is good, means to be invited into somebody's home and feel like a part of the family. Paul's prayer was that the saints at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, would treat Jesus Christ like a family member. He would be invited into your life by faith, and he would be very comfortable and at home inside of you. Do you know when you gave your life to Jesus, Many things happened, but one of those things that happened was the Spirit of God moved inside of you. Your body, this human body that you have and I have, the Spirit of the living God came into us. He indwelled us. He lives inside of us. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came and He went. In the New Testament, the church, the Spirit of God comes and He stays. And Paul's prayer was that spirit would come into our house, our house, and would feel like family and would feel at home. When somebody comes to visit you, they're either a guest or they're family. When a guest comes to your home, the guest has places that he or she cannot go. Would you agree? There, there's places that are off limits. There's unwritten rules and restrictions. 
What Paul is saying is don't treat the Spirit of God like a guest. When he comes inside of you, open up your whole, your home to him. He's family. Don't tell him he can go into all the cabinets but one. That that's a cabinet of hatred and nobody goes into that cabinet but you. That he can't go into the refrigerator because that refrigerator holds in it beverages that you want to drink and he can't go in there and mess with them. That you have a playroom, but he can't go into that. Because that's your man room where you can exercise your greed and your lust. He can't go upstairs because there's a room up there that's profane and vulgar off limits to him. And can't sit on that piece of furniture. No, no, no. Because that's the couch of prejudice. You see, we invite the Lord to come in. And we treat him as a guest and tell him, you can't go here, you can't go there. These are rules, these are restrictions you must follow. And Paul's prayer was that the church and the saints at Ephesus would open up their house to a family member. You can have access to every room, every cabinet, every refrigerator. This entire house is yours. Come in and be comfortable in it. If you want to move things or throw things away or change things or add things or subtract things or clean things, that's okay. It's your house too. Wow. What a prayer. I wonder how we would do it with that prayer. And then the third word is love. Look at verse 17 and 18. Paul talks about love. We're doing our analysis of the petitions. It says in verse 17, grounded in love, rooted in love. Verse 18, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the depth, and height of that love. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Paul is talking about a love that God has and God gives to us when he comes into our lives that quite frankly is unexplainable. But if you got it, you know it. Somebody asked Louis Armstrong about jazz. He said, I can't explain jazz, but if you got it, you know it. <laughs> and God's love is that way. If you have God's love in you, not only will you declare it, you'll demonstrate it. It'll show out in how you live every day around people. It's interesting, Paul talks about God's love using width and length and depth and height. He says God's love is so wide that it encompasses all people. Red or yellow, black or white, red or blue, doesn't matter. They're precious in his sight. He loves our people. That's how wide his love is. It circles the entire globe. Includes every face of every race in every place. 
And God's love is long. It never ends. Aren't you glad for that? God's love isn't linear. It doesn't have a starting point and an ending point. God's love is circular. It just keeps going around and around and around. God's love is not only wide and encompasses all people. It's not only long, it never ends, but it's deep. It's deep enough to reach down into hell and save a sinner. It's also high because God's love can reach a saint and put him in heaven. See, that's the love that God has. And Paul prayed that the saints in the church at Ephesus would have that kind of love to one another, that kind of love to those out there. An inward love, an outward love that comes from an upward love. And then lastly, the fourth word in the petition is found in verse 19, it's fullness, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. In order to fill something, you first got to do what? Empty it. Suppose I had a cup of water here in a glass, and the glass was full. I wanted to put into the cup of water that fills this glass strawberry milk. Does that impress you? Day 30 service didn't think much about milk. I just said milk to them, and they went, give me that poochy look. So I said, strawberry milk, and they all started smiling and got happy. But apparently, y'all don't like strawberry milk. So we got a glass of water that's filling this cup, and we're going to put chocolate milk in it. Now, see, that got you. Got to know your crowd. Y'all not a strawberry crowd, y'all a chocolate crowd. Okay, if I pour chocolate milk into a glass full of water, Chocolate milk's not going anywhere. What goes into it will be so diluted it won't be any good. In order to put chocolate milk, low-fat chocolate milk for some of you. I didn't name no names. Low-fat chocolate milk into this cup, I first got to dump out the what? The water. Turn the water out. Get rid of the water, then you can pour in the chocolate milk. And that's what Paul is saying here. My prayer for the church, my prayer for the saints at Ephesus is they would dump out themselves and fill themselves with the Spirit of God. No longer will they do things in the flesh, they'll do things in the Spirit. Dump out the old, pour in the new. Now, that's the middle of the prayer. We go from the beginning of the prayer, the invocation. A love for the Father, but a reverence and respect for God at the same time. And then we go to the middle of the prayer, the petitions, where we see how Paul prayed about inside things, not outside things. The power of the Spirit of God, the rule of God's Spirit in our domain, our dwelling place. How God's love needs to fill us. How the fullness of God's Spirit should be in us. And then he closes with verse 20 and 21 with the end of the prayer. The end of the prayer is called the benediction. And the emphasis in the benediction is on, again, the power of God. Look at verse 20. Now unto him, this is speaking of God, that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, 
according to the power that works in us. What Paul is saying is, as he closes, he's saying God is able. God is able. Some of us need to hear that right now. God is able. You're not able. The people around you are not able. Nothing in this world is able, but God is able. God is able to do all things. God is willing and able to do all things. God can do all things without limitation. God is able to do all things beyond anything we can think, beyond anything we can feel with our mind or our heart. God is able to do all things through the power of His Spirit that what lives in us. Wow. What I like most about that is God is willing and he's able. Not just able. If you knew I had a million dollars and you said, Pastor, could I borrow half a million dollars from you? I'm, I'm able to give you a half a million dollars if I'm so inclined. But I'm not willing. <laughs> There's a difference. God not only can do it, he wants to do it. And he just waits for our response to him, that he can do it. That's Paul's prayer. It took about 30 seconds to probably pray that prayer when he got on track. But that prayer moved God. And that prayer caused God to intervene into the church at Ephesus and into the life of the saints and amazing things came forth out of that early church because a man chose to pray that way. Can you imagine what would happen to you and I if we chose to pray that way? To focus on the spiritual side of people we pray for, on ourselves and on our church. To be more concerned about what is on a man's inside than what is on his outside. To pray that we might understand what's in us and what wants to work its way through us that God can do exceedingly, abundantly things in our lives, yet we never ask Him to. In closing, I want to challenge you to pray for three things. I want you to pray for yourself. The spiritual side of yourself. What's going on inside you spiritually? that you should pray about? Do you have the power of God's Spirit operating in your life, manifested by the fruit of the Spirit? Or do you have the power of the flesh operating in your life, manifested by the rottenness of the fruit of the Spirit? Do you have God's Spirit working in you and through you to make you like Jesus? Are you still the same old, same old? Pray for yourself. Is every part of your spiritual life open to Jesus? If he came in right now and said, I'd like to go home with you, and I'd like to go through every room in your house, 
Would you feel comfortable with that? I'd like to open up your cabinet, your refrigerator. I'd like to go through your magazine rack. I'd like to go up there and play with your computer. Would you feel comfortable with that? Or would you say, I better get home before he gets there? Or understand, not only should you have accessibility in your home to him, but where does he live? He lives in you. Does he have accessibility to you? Are you holding out on him with little things in your life that you don't want to let go, but he's telling you to let go? You don't want to clean up, but he's saying let's clean up. You don't want to throw away, but he wants to throw away. Do you have love in you? If your head is a headquarters for hate, you don't have Jesus there. I'll tell you that now. He puts love in your heart. Are you full of him? Are you full of yourself? How would you pray for yourself? Because you're going to pray for yourself in just a moment. How do you need to pray for yourself? I'm not talking about the outward. I'm talking about the inward. How would you pray for somebody else this morning? Does someone you know have spiritual needs? How would you pray for them right now? Do you know somebody who's battling with a bad habit or an addiction? How would you pray for them? That they might find a doctor or might find a program or might find a pill that could help them or that they might understand that the power of God is in them. That they have a power that would enable them to overcome that addiction. But they have to go to that power. They have to utilize that power. It's the power of the Spirit of God. It's not an ambiguous power. It's the power of God's Spirit who transforms and sets captives free. And then lastly, what is in your life right now that's impossible? Do you know it can be him possible if you'd ask? We can bring the wisdom and power of God into it. We don't have to live, woe is me, nobody can help me. There's victory in Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit can give you victory over things that you think right now you'll never have victory over. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.